ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas or topics for future episodes that you'd like to hear about, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email. The address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at SF, as in Sioux Falls, sfcatholic.org. Again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I'm uh, happy to have on the phone with me today Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Omar, how are you? I am well, Chris. Great. And Deacon Omar today are going to be talking about the process by which um, a man or a woman becomes canonized. So the, the, by which the, their cause for canonization, the, the means by which that process is advanced. Deacon Omar has some personal experience in that, not because his cause is underway yet. He's still alive, <laughs> but uh, maybe one day. Uh, no, he, he, he's he got some experience in that. And just looking forward to, to sharing with you maybe sort of the 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 behind the scenes, if you will, aspects, things that many of us don't know about, about how exactly it is that somebody um, got, becomes canonized, what, what that process entails. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. If you've never listened before, again, my, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls in eastern South Dakota. The Missouri River pretty much bisects South Dakota, and the Diocese of Sioux Falls is the eastern half of the state. Um, been married to Jermaine for 20 plus years. Uh, she's from Ohio. I'm from Minnesota. But all five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. sunny right now, but it will be uh, because it's the plains. So Deacon Omar, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners if they haven't heard of you before? I don't know at all. Um, so uh, Deacon Omar Gutierrez, I um, live and work in the Archdiocese of Omaha. Um, I have been working for the Church for about 19 years. I'm the um, president and co-founder of the Evangelium Institute, uh, an apostolate founded here in the Archdiocese to work with Catholic adults uh, and focusing on Catholic school teachers. Um, but more importantly, I'm happily married to Miriam, um, a 15 years, 16 years this summer, and uh, we have four kids and a fifth on the way uh, due uh, in early April of 2020. Um, and, uh, Chris and I go way, way back. Way, 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 way back. Um, I mentioned my wife's from Ohio. You're from Cleveland. Did you ever go swimming in Lake Erie? Did I ever go swimming in Lake Erie? No, because when I was going from Cleveland, it was still toxic. But, but, but was it on fire yet? Or was that, oh, that was, was it the river? Uh, no, that had happened uh, before uh, I moved there and uh, it was still pretty toxic. And then while I was there, um, it almost caught fire again. But, uh, no. Thanks for bringing that up. By the way. I Happy, well, I brought up the Browns last time you were on. I, I thought we could <laughs> keep going that way. Yeah. How is it with LeBron? Got, no, I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, enough with sore Cleveland subjects. Um, 
let's talk about something uh, happier than that. The process by which uh, man or woman um, becomes canonized. So, Dickie Nomar, first, why don't you, you talk, before we get into the details of the process, mm-hmm. your own personal familiarity and experience with huh. the process for a cause of canonization. Yeah, so um, uh, many listeners may have heard of uh, Father Edward Flanagan, who's the founder of Boys Town. There was that famous movie, of course, um, uh, that won an Academy Award about his life. And um, so he was an Irish priest who um, came here to the Archdiocese of Omaha, and then just a diocese, um, and uh, founded this, this home for boys. Well, the cause for his Organization was opened a number of years ago, and uh, when I, I worked for the Archbishop uh, full time then, and so I was a notary on the tribunal for the Archdiocesan phase of the process, and I, I learned a great deal uh, during those couple three years in working on the this first phase of the cause, and um, uh, I'd like to share some of that knowledge and then just some general information about how the process works. And why? So I'm, I'm, I know you've talked about this with with others before. Um, what if somebody's listening to this and be like, okay, wait, why? Why should I? They're they're about ready, Deacon Omar. They're about ready to turn the dial because you know the yeah. radios still have dials. They're about ready to turn the dial. They're about ready to 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 skip this archive this episode of Ignition. Why should they keep listening? Uh, they should keep listening because one of the things that um, I learned and I thought was absolutely beautiful about our process is the degree to which the Church will go in order to make sure that we have confidence that when we pray to these people, when we look at their lives, that we're doing so in integrity, um, and that we're off, and the Church is offering us these beautiful examples of what it means to be a Catholic in your life right now. Um, and that's what I got from from learning about the process, and that's what I sort of share with people when I go talk about it. Great, yeah, I, I think um, they are models of holiness. We we we, we seek their intercession, um, and they are models of holiness. So we should make sure that they lived holy lives, and and the yeah. process does that. Yeah. So so tell us tell us what we need to know about the process for canonization, Deacon. Sure. So uh, the first thing is that somebody needs to die, right? Um, (laughs) Somebody's got to die. I mean, it's just, (laughs) you know, somebody's going to have to die here. (laughs) So once that person has passed away, um, there's a a grace period, let's say about five years or so, which can be waived if if the the people ask for it and the Pope decides it. But um, there's usually a grace period where you're not allowed to start a cause right away. Um, As soon as the person dies, you have to wait a while. Um, and uh, one of the things that will sort of come up here is there are a lot of um, particular aspects of way, about the way the Church does the investigations, um, and that comes from uh, centuries, millennia, really, uh, thousands of years' of experience on how to, to look at saints. Um, and it, it was in the year 1234 the Church finally said, we need to have like a formal process, because what was happening before is you would have local people or a local bishop just declaring people saints right. with maybe not a lot of uh, proof or maybe because they like the person or for other reasons. So the Church said, hey, no, we have to have a formal process here. And that's developed over the years. Um, in Pope Urban VIII in 1634, uh, he starts revising it. And it's been revised many, many times. John Paul II revised it a little bit here as well. So um, uh, this grace period after the person dies is one of those 
um, things that the churches put in there to make sure that we didn't rush anybody through. That's the first thing. Uh, then the, after the, the that grace period is sort of over, um, there's an actor for the cause, and the actor of the cause is the group or organization or, or whatever that's coming to the church and asking the church to investigate this person to look into whether or not they, they should be canonized. Um, in the case of Father Flanagan uh, and his cause, it's an interesting um, thing because most canonization processes are done either by religious orders, so maybe it's the founder of their order they want canonized, or a member of their order, or by dioceses. So right. uh, the, the case with Archbishop Fulton Sheen is done by the Diocese of Peoria. In the case of Father uh, uh, Flanagan, it was former boys, um, boys from Boys Town, boys who had been abandoned, um, who had nobody else to care for them, who ended up at Boys Town, who many uh, years later, and relatively recently actually, got together and said, you know, we get together regularly as, as alumni of, of Boys Town. Um, we need to start a process for Father oh. Flanagan. So they came to the church, and uh, after some missteps here and there, the church in the Archdiocese of Omaha said we would look into it. The, the next thing that needs to happen is uh, we need to find out where the person died. Um, and in the case of Father Flanagan, he died in Berlin because he had been sent uh, to Europe after World War II to help European countries uh, care for the orphan children after the war. And while he was there, he had a, a massive heart attack and, and passed away. So because he died in Berlin, uh, the Archdiocese of Omaha had to ask permission of the Cardinal Archbishop of Berlin to take up the charge, uh, the cause. Uh, the Arch Cardinal Archbishop said, yes, go ahead. And so then we started the process. The first step in the process then is then getting a tribunal together. And the tribunal includes somebody who represents the bishop, uh, includes somebody who is called the promoter of justice, who had to be a canon lawyer. And this person's job basically is to make sure that everything, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, that we really investigate this person's life. Um, uh, the notary, which is what I was, who's there to kind of make sure everything sort of runs along efficiently. And then some copyists. And the copyists are there in order to make sure that all the uh, interviews and things are copied down and copied correctly and so on and so forth. Then the bishop needs to make a formal proclamation that the cause is opening. And, and we actually, you actually have to do this. I mean, it's sort of like really medieval, but you have to go to the, the bishop has to go to the, the cathedral, and it has to be the cathedral, and they have to have a public statement with a big piece of paper huh. and with an edict that says, we are formally opening the cause for this person. Anybody who has any information, whether good or bad, needs to come see me. Um, and traditionally, the, the rubric is you're supposed to nail it or attach it to the doors of the cathedral. Ours are made of bronze, so that wasn't going to happen. So, <laughs> if you get your glass cathedral doors, cathedral. just be very careful as you pound <laughs> the nail. <laughs> um, so we, we set up a tripod of cathedral, and we, we had to have, by law, canon law, we had to have that uh, displayed in cathedral for, I think, um, at least a month. So that uh, everybody could see, and then if we, of course we put it out in the media. So that anybody who had any information, good or bad, needed to come see us. And then the rest of the process on on the tribunal's end is is interrogating, and that's the, the official word, uh, interrogating witnesses uh, about uh, this person. And you can, as in kind of an analogy, you can look at the whole process as a court case. Right? Mm. Um, you have the the prosecutor, which is the church, and we're trying to figure out the truth of the situation. 
And then you have the defense, which is the actor of the cause. And the actor of the cause, they hire a, a lawyer, essentially a defense lawyer, and his name is the, the postulator, his or her name, the postulator. And the postulator's job is to make the argument that the person that we're looking into really should be made a saint. Right. So those are the two sides, essentially, and we're looking at uh, at each other. Okay. There's a couple other commissions, and then I'll stop talking for a second. But, um, the, there's also an historical commission and a theological commission. And those are separate from the tribunal, but the tribunal sort of manages those other two. Uh, the theological commission, their job is to read anything and everything the person wrote to make sure there's that there's doctrinal purity, that they didn't say anything heretical. Um, that even in private letters, they have to go through those kinds of things. They, they never like were mean to somebody um, or <laughs> recommended some uh, a sin. That, they had to go through all of that. Right. And then at the end of their process, they have to provide a report uh, on. The, the person, um, uh, what, do they say anything against the faith? If there's a, a, a sense that maybe there was some kind of theological insight or a charism in their writing, to include that. And then the Historical Commission has to go through every single moment of their life. Every single moment. Um, so for every moment of their life, the, the Historical Commission has to provide uh, for a sense of where they were, what they were doing, what they were doing it with, who they were doing it with, and all those various things. They have to do that or to make sure that um, we have a sense of who this person was and where they were. Wow. If you're just tuning in to listen to Ignition, this is a broadcast of the New Evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and talking today with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha in Nebraska about the process by which someone is declared a saint, the cause for canonization. So everything you just went through, Deacon Omar, that's all still at the local level, Correct. Yes, all this is the very first phase. This is the archdiocesan phase. We're handling all this at the local level. So, and you talked about how. Um, so, the the example that you you were familiar with, involved with the cause of for the canonization of Father Flanagan, the founder of Boys Town. He died elsewhere, and so the Archdiocese of Omaha had to get the permission of the Cardinal Archbishop, in this case of, of Berlin, because that's where he was when he died, to to take up the cause. That's poor. That was part of the controversy with um, um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, right? Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. So uh, the, he <clears throat> died in New York, and so the Archdiocese of New York had the, the authority, um, but they weren't doing anything. <laughs> so right, Peoria right. came forward, and they asked permission for the cause, and so the Cardinal Archbishop, I think it was Egan at the time, said, yes, we give you permission to take up this cause. Um, so then the question was, well, who's going to keep the body in that? Right. That, that's the country. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so there's all this investigation and, and you talked about, um, the last things you were talking about there was the historical commission, the theological commission, evaluating everything in so far as it's recorded, um, that this, this man or woman said or did to make sure that it's, it's heresy free to make sure they weren't mm-hmm. some secret egregious sinner, um, that sort of thing. But they were still a sinner, though, right? I mean, the, the, there's yeah. there's no expectation of them to have lived a sinless life. So what's sort of the, do you know, what, like, what's the bar at which, okay, um, they were grumpy, kind of like St. Jerome was grumpy. Like they, they, yeah. they said maybe we're impatient once. Um, that that gets up, that gets okay because that's we're sinners. Um, but, but any sense of like what, it, 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 did the commission make it an evaluation or are they just reporting back? This is what we found. 
Yeah, good question. So what the tribunal does in its interrogations is we have a number of questions. And in our case, I think we had, I think, something like 400 questions for each uh, interrogate, uh, person we were interrogating, uh, each witness. Uh, and um, first of all, there was a lot of biographical stuff that we would ask them. And some of these people didn't know any of that stuff. They were, you know, uh, we interviewed people who were in their 80s um, who were, you know, 12 when they knew Father Flanagan. So they didn't know necessarily every detail of his life. But we, there's a whole series of questions about his life of virtue. Um, so um, certainly we had people tell us about Father was grumpy one day or Father was this. Or, um, but the overall sense from all of them was, um, but he was, a, he was a good man. He was a virtuous man. And even though he wasn't perfect, um, and we have those stories, and those stories are re- recorded. Like, so part of the job of the copy is, is to record everything the person says. So even if it's bad, or even if it cuts this way or that way, that's their job is to record all of it. Um, the the questions there to say, okay, so he did this bad thing, or maybe he, you know, snapped at somebody, et cetera. Um, but what's your assessment of that? How you were there? What what was it like? What was the sense of it? And they give us that as well. So the process takes into account the fact. That, that we're all sinners, this person isn't perfect, there's no expectation of perfection. What we're looking for is, is there a sign that this person led a life of virtue that um, that would recommend them to be uh, to the next step of, of, the, of the cause? Gotcha. Okay. So, um, again, this is all at the local level, and in part of it, you referred to virtue. I mean, the, the bar we're talking about here is a life of heroic virtue. So can you explain, yeah. what, what does that mean? What, 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 what differentiates um, heroic virtue from, I don't know, ordinary virtue or whatever? Yeah, well, that's the sticking point, right? So I'll answer the question by saying after, after that process at the local level is finished, and then, and they produce all the documents that are necessary. So these are all the interrogations, the reports to the historical commission, the timeline of his life, all the theological work, and et cetera. All that stuff is put into um, boxes and sent off to Rome. Uh, and Rome then binds those things. Uh, the, um, the job then is of the postulator, who's like the defense attorney for the actor. The postulator takes all that information, and then he writes what's called a positio. The positio is basically the case for canonization. And the purpose of the positio is to argue that the person that we're talking about led this heroic life of virtue. And once they submit the positio, the congregation of the cause of the saints, cardinals and theologians look at it, and if they make the determination based on the positio that this person did leave a, a life of heroic virtue, then the person goes from being a servant of God which they were when we started the process. They were officially a servant of God as soon as we start the process. Now they become a venerable. So when you hear about a venerable somebody, it means the Church has decided they did leave a life of heroic virtue. Now what does that mean, to your question? What's the difference between that and just regular virtue? It means a virtue that was consistent, a virtue that spread uh, not just to their um, public life, but their private life, a virtue that includes and touches on all the virtues. So maybe, uh, you know, this guy was very good with um, uh, prudence, right? But he was not the very nice person. He lacked in charity. Well, that's not heroic virtue. You had to be a life of virtue across the way. And then the heroic part of it is is a, an aspect of virtue that helps to inspire other people to be virtuous. That's the key. And that's really what the cause of the canonization, uh, you know, cause of the canonization of saints is looking for is, um, is, is this person's life of virtue going to lead other people to faith, going to lead other people to sanctity? 
Um, and in the case of Father Flanagan, for instance, we could say really quite definitively that it did. We know of at least three other causes for canonization of other people who say that they were inspired to do what they did because of Father Flanagan. Wow. Um, so it, does their life of virtue inspire other people to be virtuous, other people to be holy? If so, then that's a great indicator of heroic virtue. So and then so beatification and canonization are the two last steps, and and what people yeah. if they're familiar with those steps at all, they probably know that those each require a miracle that that has occurred that it can be attributed to somebody seeking the intercession of this venerable. So um, wh- whoever this man or woman was, somebody prays to them for some some usually cure of some medical condition, whatever, and there, there's a miracle that happens. And then there's the whole process of establishing what's actually a bona fide miracle. Um, yeah. Is there any, apart from the, the, the miracle though, Deacon, is, is there anything else um, that, that happens at those two final stages or is all the investigation that you've just been speaking about, is that basically complete at that point? Good question. Yeah. So all of that investigation is completed. Once the church says the person is venerable, um, really the only thing we're waiting for at that point are, are miracles uh, to occur. Um, uh, because the Church has determined that, yeah, this person led a life of heroic virtue. In other words, they inspired other people to be holy. Uh, and so now the only question is, is this person in fact in heaven? Um, which is what the miracles are attempting to sort of demonstrate, is that this right. person is in fact in heaven. Um, and I, I got to be part of a couple of, of tribunals to investigate alleged miracles as well, and, and one of the things that I was really heartened by in the, the first process, the archdiocesan phase, and in the miracle process, is just how rigorous the standards are. It's a really high bar, the Church sets. There can be no wiggle room. Uh, you have to be absolutely sure there's no medical explanation for whatever it is the alleged miracle is. Um, and so you, you go through that whole process, um, and uh, once that process is determined at the, at the tribunal level, it's sent to the Vatican, they have their own experts, they look it all over, and then it's sent to the, the Pope's desk for final approval. But one of the things that people aren't always aware of is that, uh, yes, you need one miracle to become uh, a blessed. Um, this, the next miracle, the miracle for canonization, has to happen after the person has been named blessed. Oh! Uh, it can't happen before, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's the trick. And so when people often ask, well, how long does the canonization process take? It's really literally up to God. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Only he's a, you could do all the work and all the, 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 the recording and interviews, etc., but it's really up to God, and he's the one who determines whether or not he's going to grant a miracle through somebody's intercession. Uh, and that, that last miracle that happens after they're beatified, that's the miracle that then gets them to be uh, a saint. The Pope being the Pope, and it's good to be Pope, he can waive the last miracle if he wants. Um, uh, we already have one that's gone through the process, that made him blessed. Uh, the Pope can waive the last one, but typically there are two miracles that have to be confirmed. Okay. If you're just tuning in and you're listening to Ignition, this is a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha in Nebraska today. Deacon Omar, and we're talking about the, the process of canonization, the process by the investigation that happens to determine um, whether or not somebody is holy enough to be called a saint. Deacon, we've got uh, just over four minutes left. This is we're drawing to a close with this episode today. Um, what, are, what are anything else? 
else, I guess, that you, that you want us to know, to think about this process by which um, somebody is is declared a saint? And the other thing I'm wondering, anything else? But also, so where is the cause for Father, Father Flanagan, the one that you were involved with? Uh, where's that at right now? Yeah, so um, just uh, in terms of, let's just start with Father Flanagan, where that cause is, right? So um uh, we turned in all the documents. Uh, we ended up having over 6,000 pages of documents that we uh, handed over. Um, my job as the notary was to stamp every single one of them. Wow. Um, so I didn't sleep for a couple of days there. But um, <laughs> uh, send those things off to Rome, uh, and uh, the Presidio has been submitted, and so we're really just waiting for a determination from the Congregation of the Council of Saints uh, to name him venerable. We're confident that we can make that um, uh, they'll make the, a positive finding, um, uh, but that's what we're waiting on is on, on that. Because it's, you know, um, we are still encouraging people to pray to Father Flanagan, uh, especially for cases involving children. Um, but um, uh, so far, we've had a number of people who've claimed miracles, and, and we've we've looked at the into them, and there just isn't enough um, sure evidence that we can move forward with those. But um, so we would ask people to continue to pray to Father Flanagan. So uh, you had begun our conversation with why should people listen to this, why should they care about this process and the saints, etc. Um, I want to share just a, a short story from one of the interrogations I had with a, a former Boys Town boy who's now an old man, and we sat down with him and we spoke to him, um, and uh, he told us a story about uh, when he used to serve Master Father Flanagan. Father Flanagan was famous for getting up really, really, really early in the morning, uh, and serving mass, and he would have his sort of regular servers serve serve the mass. And after mass was over, he would give a blessing to each of the the boys, and they would go on with the rest of their day. Uh, well, this this young man um, who uh, was serving that morning um, decided not to receive communion. When we were speaking with him, he didn't tell us why he didn't. Um, he just said I, he couldn't. Uh, and Father took note of that. And so after mass was over, and the young man came up to him and knelt before him for the blessing. Um, Father put his hands on his shoulder and he said, Dear, because he called all the boys dear, he said, Dear, don't you know that you have everything here that's necessary to become a saint? And what I love about that story is um, that's true for all of us. Uh-huh. For all of us, we have what's necessary in our lives to become a saint because sanctity is, is available to all of us. It may not look like Father Flanagan's sanctity, uh, there may not be another human person in the world who hears about our sanctity. We may never have a cause opened for our sanctity or our canonization. But that sanctity, that holiness, is available to all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our state in life. We are all called to be saints. We have everything before us. Um, we need to pray and trust in prayer that the Lord is providing those graces for us, and we just need to be open to them and to follow them so that we can be more faithful followers of him and draw other people to him. Amen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, d- definitely um, living in the United States, um, a-, a country in many ways, um, Protestant in its Christian faith, um, historically at least, at least. Saints is is one of the the Catholic distinctives, differentiators that that maybe other other Christians here aren't as familiar with. Obviously, um, so what I love about this, especially that you ended with that, Deacon Omar, is is it shows us that that saints we seek the intercession because they're righteous, and and in the letter of Saint James, he tells us that the prayers of the righteous are particularly effective, but they're also models for us. 
who show us that it is possible to live this way, to live this life of holiness, of a heroic virtue, drawing closer to God um, and to our neighbor. Thank you very much, Deacon Omar, for explaining the process for it with us today. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.